This is the Mindful Musical Life Podcast. I'm Kevin Miske. I'm always excited when I get to have a nice conversation with someone from right here in Reno. And this week we're talking to Jessica Escobar. Jessica is a longtime violinist with the Reno Philharmonic Orchestra and other ensembles all around Nevada and beyond. By day, however, she works across the street from the Pioneer Center as a full-time certified court interpreter for the Second Judicial District Court of Nevada. In her job as an interpreter, she helps people of limited English proficiency gain access to justice by bridging the language gap in court proceedings. In addition to her current career as an interpreter, Jessica used her double major in French and anthropology to teach English and French classes first in France for two years, then back here in Reno at the University of Nevada and Truckee Meadows Community College. She has translated and interpreted for regional police departments, hospitals, mental health facilities, courts, and even the Intel International Science and Engineering Fair as a freelancer for 10 years before obtaining her current position. After learning more about the role of interpreters, it's easy to see why a 2001 study placed interpreters in the category of, quote, high-stress professions, unquote, which included first responders, military personnel, neurosurgeons, and air traffic controllers. So, in July of 2017, Jessica decided to take up Transcendental Meditation, or TM for short, in hopes of improving her quality of life and preventing future health problems caused by stress and anxiety. In our conversation, we talk about how Jessica first was introduced to Transcendental Meditation, what drew her to that practice specifically, how she views her musical life and meditation, and some recommendations for how to get started if you are interested in TM. Jessica has seemingly boundless energy and kindness and brings such a wonderful presence with her to every situation. It was a pleasure to talk with her, and I am sure you will all get a lot out of this conversation. So without further ado, here's Jessica. Hi, Jessica. Hi, I'm Kevin. so excited to have someone on the podcast that specializes in TM and such a wonderful person and someone who lives in Reno. So <laughs> um, I'm super excited to dive right in. So could you tell us a little bit about, um, first of all, like what TM is? and kind of what your practice looks like and how you got interested in sure. meditation. Sure. Well, hi, Kevin, and thank you so much for having me on your podcast. Um, you know, I was I was thinking, oh, imposter syndrome, and then you said specializes, so <laughs> we'll get into that. Um, but yes, um, TM, of course, stands for Transcendental Meditation. Another word for it is Vedic Meditation. And um, I learned of it back in 2017, um, at the time, I was attending a place here in town called Unity of Reno or Unity Center, which is a spiritual center, uh, non-denominational. Um, and one of the people who goes there, one of our uh, uh, our bass guitar player actually in the musical group, is also a meditation teacher. And he actually studied with the Maharishi Mahesh Yogi, which some people may have heard of before. I believe it was the Beatles who also um, studied this type of meditation with him. But, you know, my teacher always emphasizes how many cultures around the world have discovered some form of this, right, meditation. And this is a particular pathway to get to that sort of state of uh, meditative internal peacefulness. And uh, I got into it because I learned of that through Stephen Jacobs at Unity Center years ago. Great. Um, can Just to clarify for myself and, and listeners to the kind of the, what does a transcendental meditation practice look like? And that's a great question because there's so many different kinds of meditations. Um, so transcendental meditation is a practice in which 
you first go to an orientation session to learn about it. And then if you decide to go through with the class during the first session, the teacher takes you apart one by one, not takes you apart, uh, takes each <laughs> Probably <laughs> also that too by me. the end, right? <laughs> it's yeah. not boot camp. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, takes each student out of the group setting uh, privately to, to um, I'm getting this all wrong. There's, I'm trying to remember what, it's like four days of teaching initially. And on that first day, uh, it's like a one-on-one -on -one session, if I'm remembering correctly, mm. and you get your mantra. So it's a mantra-based right. meditation where it's a, it's a sound, a combination of sounds, I think, derived from the Sanskrit language, mm -hmm. but not sounds associated that have any uh, meaning associated with them. Just sounds that supposedly um, ring in a certain way, if that makes sense, like a that 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 are that have been I guess tested is my yeah. very limited understanding of it because I myself am not a meditation teacher but just from what my teacher has said these are sounds that and everybody gets a different mantra and you never tell what your mantra is and you don't say it out loud after the first time when you confirm it or the second time when it's confirmed and what it is is you just you sit quietly it's supposed to be two times a day for 20 minutes, uh, maybe once in the morning, once in the afternoon or evening, and you close your eyes and you start to think this mantra in your head, just like you would think any other thought. And I like that because when I've tried, I mean, tried is too too much, really. I've never really tried too hard to meditate before this, and you're not supposed to try hard, incidentally. But <laughs> <laughs> it's the opposite of it. But uh, like I wasn't very good with breathing or other things yeah. like that. I would get very easily distracted and which incidentally, and I'm sure you've heard this before, we were talking just before the show started about how that's major, that's the major thing that people say, right? Is, right. oh, I can't do it. My mind doesn't work that way. Um, I just have too many thoughts. And the idea of this form of meditation is you don't have to clear your mind. You just gently return to the mantra. You're gonna mm -hmm. have thoughts. It's just assumed. And then you gently return to the mantra. And I'm not sure if I lost track of your questions. I, no, that's okay. great. Yeah, okay. <laughs> because I, I knew it was mantra-based, but I, mm -hmm. I wasn't sure exactly how mantras were created or obtained or anything like that. So that's very helpful. It's nice to know. Um, it, yeah, I mean, essentially what it sounds like to me is, um, for me, the core of all meditation practices, you have an object of focus. So it's the breath or it's sensations in the body or it's your mantra or it's, you know, walking meditation, feeling the the ground beneath your feet or, you know, a combination of things, whatever. Um, and then you're always working to return to whatever it is that you're focusing on. Whatever your object is, you just kind of go back to it. Right. And the whole point is, the point is not to stay focused on your mantra the whole time. The point is to notice when you're not focused on your mantra and then return. Right. right. Yeah. The idea is to not struggle and not make an effort because that's like at the conscious level. So yeah, you're gently thinking the mantra and, and then it can sort of go through alterations as you start getting more and more peaceful. And sometimes it can disappear and that's okay because you're still in that state. But yes, if you start to notice that you're sort of following your thoughts through, you kind of Gently return your thoughts to it, but gently is the key word. You're not struggling. Right. I'm glad yeah. you said that too, because mm -hmm. for me, the most important step in all meditation practices, regardless of what style you're doing, is the tone with which you redirect your thoughts back to your focus. So it's um, the non-judgmental approach to returning to focus, right? So instead of the self-deprecating, you know, <laughs> like, oh, what's wrong with me? I can't focus for five minutes, blah, 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 right? Those right. kinds of things. It's doing it in a calm, like relaxed 
non-judgmental, compassionate way. Right. And not making a big thing out of it. And I think for me personally, that has always been the most difficult thing. I get in my own way and, um, you know, oh, dang it, you know, I can't. And that's not really the idea of it. So the, really the only way I guess you could do it wrong is by struggling constantly and, and expecting the same experience every time. Mm. But if you just sort of take it as it comes, and literally my teacher always just says, take it as it comes. And your mind wants to do something a little bit different every time and every day. And it's actually really interesting, Kevin, because, and I don't know if you found this to be true in your own meditation practices, but for me, each time I sit down with the mantra, um, my mind does do something different. And I could have been going through my entire day just living and not realizing kind of how my mind is that day because I'm just being the thoughts, being in the thoughts. But mm. when I'm meditating, it's like I'm outside of the thoughts and I'm watching them sort of. And in that state, I feel like I'm an observer to my thoughts. I really feel like, I don't know if you ever read the book, um, The Untethered Soul by Michael Singer, I believe I've not it read it, but I know of it. Yeah, yeah. I read it a few years ago, actually, I think right around the same time or before I ever tried this, The Untethered Soul. He talks about the watcher, get to know the watcher. And he talks about how everything, all of our sensations from our five senses and all of our thoughts are mere objects of consciousness. And he came to these conclusions like on his own from his own observations. So mm -hmm. it's very interesting. I heard the Oprah interview. <laughs> he <laughs> <Nice>. told her. <laughs> and that's kind of what it reminds me of. Like you're sort of behind, you're watching the thoughts go by. You're not in them. You're not getting lost in them. You're watching them. And then you realize, oh, my mind is doing this today. I didn't realize that before. Yeah. yeah, yeah the obs the um, the distance from thoughts is another thing we talked about, you know, off mic just before we started. But that idea of um, when you are practicing meditation kind of somewhat regularly and like we can talk about this too, but like I fall out of my meditation practice from time to time and, and won't meditate for a week or two. And then I'll go, I really need to start meditating again because of X, Y, and Z or just a reminder that it's okay to ebb and flow, but go back, right? Um, but the the you gain distance from from thoughts and from emotional reactivity like you're able to just kind of take a step back and process what's going on a little bit before either you respond or you just let the thoughts go by um, it's it's a nice reminder that and this might sound abstract to someone who doesn't meditate regularly but like we are not our thoughts our thoughts are not who we are yeah they're just a process of what the mind is doing all day long which is just processing information and you know, dealing with presence, present issues or past issues and just creating thoughts that bubble up, basically. A hundred percent. Yeah, the we are not our thoughts, you know, like you say, you really, and I think that's a very calming thought too. And I mean, and you mentioned falling out of meditation practice. I'm the worst, you know, like I'm, <laughs> I'm just going to admit it, you know, for anybody out there who's listening to this is I can't do it. I don't have that kind of discipline. Well, you're talking to the most undisciplined person there is. And honestly, when you initially asked me on the show or when other people ask me about my meditation practice, I have the hugest imposter syndrome sometimes because Anybody who knows me, like right now I'm making my calm voice. This is my radio announcer voice. <laughs> but anybody who knows me like out in the world knows that I'm kind of a type A, high anxiety, talking a mile a minute kind of person, which serves me well in my jobs, which we might get into a little bit later. Um, and so, but honestly, you know, this helps everybody. And that's exactly why one meditates. You know, we all have our natural personality tendencies I'm not always disciplined. I don't I do not do it every day, you know. I faithfully go once a month to the group meditation session that my teacher offers um, for life, basically, for the Great. price of taking the course the one time. 
And that's great. And that keeps me, but I mean, you know, sometimes there are months when that's the only time I meditated. And I hate to say that. And I, mm-hmm. I want to, I strive, I want to sort of get to the point where I really am doing it more regularly because honest to goodness, when I do do it, even if it was a busy meditation, so to speak, with lots of thoughts, I do feel better afterwards. And and there are times when, you know, you're not supposed to just resort to it when you're like on the brink of major stress breakdown, right? But I have to confess that there are times when I'm, I feel the onset of a major stress coming and I'm like, okay, if I have a moment to stop and just even for a few minutes, um, I have definitely, you know, gotten off that train before it, it derailed off the tracks of that's, stress, I mean. Yeah, that's great. That's such yeah. an important point to bring yeah. up because um, I think people often think about meditation as this stopgap that they'll just use in like emergency situations. But in order to have access to the positive aspects of meditation, I think you need to be doing it when you're a little bit more even keeled on a somewhat regular basis, and, right? Yeah. And the idea is that it eventually kind of evens out your brain waves. And I mean, they've done like research on it. And I think most of the meditation studies, my understanding that have been done, have been specifically focused on transcendental meditation or maybe a most lot of the have. Thing. A lot have. Yeah. yeah. I'm not too much. I don't want to speak um, in, about something that I'm not an expert in, but that's, that's what my understanding is. Yeah. Yeah, the, yeah. the um, uh, Richie Davidson out of uh, UW-Madison, I think, is mm-hmm. one of the biggest uh, research kind of labs in meditation. And they have done a lot with transcendental meditation studies. Um, and there's also been a lot of um, like self-reporting studies. Like they do a lot of like scientific MRI-based or different scans mm-hmm. during meditations, like after someone meditates so much for so long, they, they check the scans both, you know, beginning and after and and see the, compare the results. Um, there's also some like self-reporting studies that have been done um, that I, I draw on a lot that um, specifically for musicians too. Oh, nice. And like how certain types of meditation, if you're done regularly, can affect performance um, anxiety or the feelings of performance anxiety in different ways. You know? well, that's wonderful. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so actually, yes. it might be a nice transition sure. to just talk a little bit about um, kind of your experiences as a professional musician, um, as a as a crossroads with your meditation practice, if you have any observations about how those two things have interacted. Well, you know, again, I feel like I need to be more regular with my practice in order to to reap the greatest benefits from it so that you kind of get to that point. Um, and, and unfortunately, sometimes I do use it as like a stopgap measure of yeah. like, oh, I'm about to have a big stress. I better do this right now, you know? Um, but I usually I'm not in a situation. I'm professional, I guess. I don't know. Or am I semi-professional? I, I'm, I'm, a, I'm an independent contractor, I guess you could say. I'm a sub with the Reno film mostly. And mm-hmm. that's kind of the bulk of my musical um, professional experiences right now, really. But although I've played with different ensembles before and very rarely uh, these days, given time constraints and other things like a chamber ensemble here Mm -hmm. or there or whatever. And yeah, big, big stress for me. You know, I'm not used to being a soloist anymore. I'm not, you know, it's been, I didn't go that route music. And so um, I want to say that I still get very anxious about it. And I think I want to see over time how that evolves. If I were to meditate right before or something, it certainly is going to take the edge off mm-hmm. of that. Um, most of the experiences that come to mind right now are actually to do with my other job, oddly enough. Mm-hmm. But it's a, but it's very similar to being a musician in the sense that there's that performance anxiety. And I think for somebody like me, who's mostly a section violinist at this point in her life, the stresses aren't the same as if I were, well, like, 
the French horn player. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> you guys are all soloists back there, right. you know? So it's a very different experience for you versus for somebody like me who's in a section with everybody playing the same part. Um, but where I do feel that performance anxiety more, you could say, is in my other job, my day job as a certified court interpreter. Mm. And it's similar in the sense that you're processing information very fast and you have to be accurate. You have to be very accurate. The consequences are, you know, not to put too fine a point on it, but sort of life or death, really, yeah. you know, people's liberty and and misunderstandings can have devastating uh, consequences. And there's been a couple of times where I've just been freaking out, you know, in my office or right before a big jury trial or even something that doesn't seem so major, but maybe I know that I'm going to be in charge not only of interpreting, but of handling all of the technical aspects of something in Zoom or in a courtroom or right. getting other interpreters on board, making sure we're all on the same page in terms of how are we going to do this or that and the other. And all of that responsibility added together um, is, is, is a bit crazy making. And yeah, I have taken time to meditate when I am able to before that. And it does it does help. It brings me back, you know, brings me back to myself. It, the pieces of myself come back because it's almost like you're fragmented, right? You're all over the place chasing these thoughts here and there, but it sort of just brings you back to to you and yeah. to realizing that those are, again, objects of consciousness. And if I were more of more often a soloist, I guess, in, in music, I would feel that performance anxiety more. I did last summer. I played a, a, in, a, in a string quartet for the Art Town on the Quad. Yeah, it has uh, an awesome name too. What was the name of your string quartet? <laughs> and I have to say, I named it. I got everybody else to vote on it. So <laughs> we did vote, but um, we called it the String Theory Quartet. I love it. String Theory because um, Johnny, Johnny Lenz, our mm -hmm. cellist, like he studied physics. Right. And so I was like, oh, String Theory, get Perfect. it? And everybody liked that one. <laughs> yeah, I love it. So I was very nervous for that. I should have meditated right before that. <laughs> yes. Yeah, yeah the, the backstage um, process too, like I've got... I've got certain things that I will use. Like it's not typical that I can sit backstage for 20 minutes and do a nice long body scan or something like that. <laughs> like maybe I'll try to do that in the afternoon before a big show, right? Um, or like a couple hours before I leave to go to the hall, right? And then, but there's those, I think the little, the little short practices to kind of just like center you just briefly only work if they're if they're paired with some kind of like formal practice of some sort. I want to agree with you on that. In fact, even just now, right before when you were setting up the equipment for the podcast, I didn't actually meditate for 20 minutes or meditate at all, but I was able to sort of stand aside and calm down. And I want to say that it's your brain is changing probably. It, it's almost like you found a neural path to get to that state hmm. and your brain remembers. Yeah. And I told my teacher this a few years ago and he said, oh, beautiful, beautiful. <laughs> yeah. I said, yes, okay, approval. That means I'm not not just like off uh, out of line here with this, but I, I feel that once you found that pathway to it in your brain, it's easier to get there even when you're not in meditation, even when you're not, as you say, able to just do a full body scan or a mantra meditation for 20 minutes and then walk on stage, right? But the pathway is there. The pathway has been created and you more easily remember how to get there. You more easily can detach from your thoughts in your day-to-day -day life, even outside of meditation, mm -hmm. right? So, and even even a flunky like me who doesn't meditate on the regular as much as I could or should, uh, even I can feel those benefits. So it's a powerful thing for sure. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. Um, and it's nice that you can see those effects in different parts of your life too. Um, 
I, like a lot of musicians, I don't know if this was your case, probably not from your description of it, but like I got interested in meditation because I thought it would be a good like performance hack. You know, like how can I center my mind more, be more calm, less anxiety, that kind of stuff, specifically for performing. I got interested when I was in my doctorate. Huh. And, um, and I know a lot of musicians and artists of like different performing artists that get into meditation because of that, right? Oh, no doubt. But I feel like once you start practicing, you realize that what you're actually doing is you're just training your person. You're just being a human being that's doing meditation. Yes. And by extension, it will affect all aspects of your yes. life, not just music, but your relationships and your work life and any quote performance unquote yeah. that you have to do. Yes. Whether it's talking on the phone, you know, or interpreting like a high-pressure court case. Or being interviewed right. on a podcast. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> right. Exactly. Yeah, well, a rising tide lifts all ships, right? Right. And so it really does. So all of the ships of your life, relationships and the other ships nice. too. <laughs> See what I did there? Yeah, excellent. <laughs> <laughs> um, it, all, it all improves. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 Um, so I've, I've written down a couple things that I'd like to share with people for sure. Mm -hmm. Um about like, well, um, <clears throat> I'll share the information about uh, the Unity Center um, and about Stephen Jacobs specifically. Um, if he, is he still in Reno? Oh yes, he like, is. Yeah, okay. I just saw him this past Monday because it was our monthly group oh, meditation. His website is actually Meditation for Life Reno, I think. Meditation for yeah, Life Reno. Meditation okay, great. for Life Reno. Mm -hmm. I'll make sure I add that to the show notes. Yeah. Um, but um, yeah, so if people are interested in meditation, do you feel like transcendental meditation is a good one to start with? Is that Was that your first experience with meditation was transcendental? It actually was for me. And I know like Stephen does like a, a sampler class at the Nevada Museum of Art every now and then that uh, touches on various different types of meditation. And, uh, but he himself says that TM, the transcendental meditation is the most elegant and easiest that you can even teach it to children. Hmm. Yeah, children who won't sit still for following their breath or something apparently can learn it. So uh, it is my my meditation experience, yes. Great. Yeah. Um, so if people are interested in getting started with TM, um, obviously I'll post some links and things like that, but there's a lot of resources for TM, for different sure. teachers all over the place. So wherever people are, they can find someone, I'm sure. For sure. There's like a whole organization and everything like that, yeah. you know. Yeah. And, and there's like uh, places that send TM teachers into like prisons and schools and everything. And, and you see that recidivism drops and, you know, it's, mm. it's really rather, I mean, the, the health benefits when Stephen does his preliminary free session, actually it's happening right now tonight, I think. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Or in a few minutes, I think it's tonight at seven as we're recording. Um, every now and then he'll do the free informational session. And he talks about how, if there were any pill, any drug that would have the same benefits, people would just pay through the nose for it mm -hmm. because apparently it really can help. I mean, because inflammation and stress, right, are responsible for so many ills. And I think that that's becoming more, I'm not a medical doctor, I can't speak to that, but I know that that's becoming more and more in the public eye, that yeah. these relationships between the body and mind and how maybe we should just call it body mind and, you know, Dr. Gabor Mate and all that. Um, I think there's something to that. They notice, Absolutely. yeah, people improve vastly in many areas of their life. They stop taking pills sometimes i can't speak to it i'm not right. i don't take pills so like right right yeah yeah i have i have seen some studies and i i don't remember off the top of my head specifically mm -hmm. what they were looking at but um examples where you know uh, like antidepressants for example mm -hmm. like doing a meditation training and then um having someone have a group do like a certain amount of meditation prescribed and, and take notes and all that kind of stuff for a certain amount of time um and then another group that took just 
antidepressant medication. I'm pretty sure it was depression. Mm, I, but mm-hmm. and then like to compare the results and and people I think would be surprised to see the um, the the results that. Um, meditation was as effective or more effective than antidepressants. Wow! In certain cases, right? Sure, so this of was course. a very specific right study, and I, if I can find it, I will post it in the show notes as well. If I can find what I'm talking about, but it's somewhere <laughs> in the back of my yeah. brain. Sure, it's tickling to come out, but sure, um, that makes sense. It's yeah. similar to things that I've heard too. Right? Yeah. Well, I mean, and you can feel it in your body. You know, I remember one instance where I was so stressed coming out of a court hearing. And I went into my car. This was when I was still an independent contractor, and I had such a stressful episode. I went into my car, and I'm like, okay, I need to stop right now. And again, you're not supposed to just use it when you're in an emergency. Mm-hmm. No, I mean, but at that moment, it was all I could think to do. I didn't want to drive back to Reno. This was like in uh, – where was this? This was in Minden, I want to say. Oh. And and the drive to Reno – yeah, I used to go all over the place. And the drive back to Reno, I was like, no, I, I can't, I can't. I was like feeling my face was hot. My heart yeah. was racing I wish I could say that that's an unusual experience for me, but I do get, I, I can get pretty flustered, you know, I yeah. can get pretty, and I think the older I've gotten, the sort of the worst, although when I think of it now, I used to cry every day before kindergarten and I <laughs> would get a tummy ache and I would leave my teddy bear on the couch in the living room so I would see him first thing when I got back from yeah. s- school, you know. So I think I've probably always been high anxiety and both of my parents and, you know, like how these things are and... um Anyways, I meditated in the car and oh my goodness. <laughs> and it's not the only experience that I've had like that. Yeah. So you can feel that. It makes sense that it would make your health better. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And yeah. another point just in that story and many others too we've talked about tonight is mm-hmm. um, that you were aware of that physical state too. Yes. Like you were aware that you were had a heightened level of anxiety and, you know, and it was manifesting physically and that you were aware enough of that process that you're like, I need to do something about this before I drive. Right. I feel like so many people don't even notice that they're that, like, freaked out and they just jump in the car and drive off. And maybe it's okay. Maybe it's not. Right. But the awareness part of the thing that I think is one of the main things that you end up training with a meditation practice. Uh, yes. Is like, what are what am I doing right now? What's my body feel like? What kind of thoughts am I having? What's, right. What's my emotional state right now? Yes. And, like, then being able to make decisions, like – do I need to do something about it right now? Can I just let the thoughts go and deal with it later? Like you can be more um, responsive rather than reactive. I like You're to so say. right. And I love that awareness piece. I love that because it's true that without that, and, and also knowing that you have a technique that you can resort to. I love that, Kevin, because yeah. I mean, you know, and, and I grew up, I was, I was raised like Roman Catholic and everything and, and prayer and all these things. But sometimes it's hard to replace a negative thought with a positive thought in the moment. Yeah. Sometimes it's hard to formulate words or prayers or anything like that, you know, or anything. Oh, think positive. Whereas with meditation, you don't really have to think anything at all. Just your mantra, which has no specific meaning attached to it. It's mm-hmm. just like the the rhythm of it and getting into that, you know, like lulling. I almost like liken it to being rocked by the sea or something, you know, rhythm is supposed to be really good for like your mm-hmm. nervous system and stuff. And and that's very rhythmic practice and which as musicians we'll appreciate too, right? right? <laughs> We're all musicians on some inchoate level. But um, yeah, just, just knowing that there's a practice there that you don't have to come up with a positive thought to counteract a negative one that's stressing you out. You can go through it laterally by changing your body's response, then your thoughts will change. And it goes both ways, right? Or as right. my teacher says, you can pick up a stick. It doesn't matter what end of it you pick it up, but you still picked up the stick. So if you change your thoughts, then your body follows. If you change your body response, then your thoughts can also follow. Yeah. 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 And then the even even more so than that, the I think 
you start to realize that like thoughts are just thoughts. They don't necessarily inherently have to have like a positive or negative spin. You don't have to apply that every single time. Right. Right. So a thought can come up and it could be a negative thought, but you can dismiss it or, you know, let it go by just like you would a positive thought. So like it's more like letting letting them just like a simple label of, you know, positive, negative or neutral or just a thought and let it go by. Like a cloud. They talk about clouds going by, right? Right. Yeah. Yeah. The image I like to have is like, um, sitting, sitting in the middle of a river and watching like sticks float by oh, or, you know, that. things like that. So it's any of those visual things, whatever works for people. That's do you ever the, literally do that, by the way? Um, mm, I've, I've definitely sat on the banks of rivers and watched yeah. stuff go by. That's yeah. always fun. I, I don't know about you, but like I have become mesmerized by just the water ripples mm. and like to the point that people have walked by and said, are you okay? <laughs> <laughs> Like, like worrying yes, people. I'm just sitting quietly. I'm, I'm happy. I'm, yeah. Not, yeah, I'm not sad, but it's mesmerizing. And that's kind of what the mantra and meditation reminds me of. It's it's rhythmic. It's soothing. It's You're being rocked into a state of mm, lullidness. I can't think of the word yeah, right way no, to end absolutely. this. Yeah, um, so yeah. You're, yeah, you're just getting used to. And then I think it comes quicker to that state of yes. relaxation and calm. Yes. The more you do your practice and everything Neural else. pathways. I yeah. mean, you, you get more expert at finding your way back to that state, I think. Right. As you strengthen those neural connections. I'm sure, again, not a neurologist, but yeah. Yeah, well, I mean, yeah. the more I mean, the more you do something, the, the stronger the connections get, you know, like our connections get wrapped in myelin and all that kind of stuff, and they become more, more transient and quicker. We have quicker access to different, you know, whatever you know whatever you're doing over and over and over again right you know, like, just, like you habits. music like right. practicing right, right yeah right. and anything else yep. yeah um, I think that's a good point to just kind of remind everybody of is that meditation is is a practice we call it a meditation practice for a reason because yeah. it, it takes effort and it takes repetition and just like anything else so it's um, there's nothing that can really replace that you know like it's great that if if people feel like medit like their walks are very meditative or swimming is very meditative and it is for a lot of people, um, but I feel like those things only work really well as meditation exercises if they're accompanied by some kind of formal meditation. Right. So. I, yeah. It's like different different kinds of benefits to different things. Right. There's so many things that have a meditative component to them if done mindfully, if done mm-hmm. if done that way. But for me, truly, yeah, nothing is quite the same as meditation per se. There's other ways that I can relax. There's other but this form of just disconnecting, I guess, from the world, not having to pay attention to anything really. And and you mentioned effort. I would say, yeah, sure, effort in the sense of actually taking the time out of your schedule to do it as much as possible, you know, not and not being hung up on the perfectionism of it, but doing it. But then once you're in the meditation, no effort. And that's so counterintuitive to so many things like, mm-hmm. oh, things things have to be hard if they're important. And, 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 and the idea is, no, it's the opposite of effort. Like effort is linked to the conscious mind. So you're supposed to actually just, in a sense, not care like how it goes, just sort of sink right. into it. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. So many great things. Um, but if you... If you had any recommendations for people that were like starting out like with TM, like your experiences, what are some things that you would recommend for someone who's just getting started? Well, the first thing I would say is get out of your own way. And <laughs> yeah, <laughs> because every single time, and we talked about this right before the show started too, is every time I'll, you know, somebody's saying, oh, it's stress. And I'll say, well, do you meditate? <laughs> I sound like I'm a proselytizer, but like, I'm very enthusiastic about sharing what I know. Yeah. And people will say, oh, I, I can't do that. Like my mind, does, my mind just won't quiet down. My mind doesn't work that way. And everybody thinks that they're special and that their mind is the only one that does that. And meditators must be different kinds of unicorns. And I say, but 
that's just how everybody's mind is. Like, trust me, if if somebody like me can do it, literally anybody can do it. You know? That's great. Yeah. And and it all it takes is um, so I would just say don't get so stuck on assumptions about how you alone of all humankind cannot be the one to do it. Right. And then don't get stuck on expectations when you're meditating. Oh, dang it. This meditation wasn't as good as the last one. And I, yeah. I've done that. I'm like, darn it. And then I feel worse. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's that. Uh, the Buddhists call that the second arrow, maybe the third oh, yeah, arrow. Oh, the second arrow. In, yeah. In I was case, just listening right. to that. Right. Yeah, the, the, the first is the thing that happened to you. And the second, the second arrow is like how you beat yourself up about it. Right. right. Yeah. I yeah. love the second arrow. Yeah. Or how you react to it. How you react to it. Yeah. Yep, absolutely. Yeah. The second arrow. Um, well, great. I think that's a great place to stop. Um, so much good information. And so again, Jessica, thank you so much for your time. Thank you, Kevin. And your wonderful insights. So I'm Aww. excited to try some, some TM sometime. So, oh, yay. Yeah. Well, now you know where to go. Yeah. <laughs> thank you so much for having me on the show. Thank you. Thank you. Another big thank you to Jessica for a wonderful conversation. And thank you all so much for listening. You can keep up to date on all new podcast releases and other exciting news by following me on Instagram at Mindful Musical Life or by visiting the website mindfulmusicallife.com. If you have a suggestion for a future topic or guest, please reach out. I'd love to hear your ideas. Remember, anyone who might be interested in mindfulness coaching can reach out via Instagram or my website to schedule a free 30-minute consultation. And lastly, if you like the podcast, please take a minute to rate, review, and subscribe. Thank you again for listening and see you next time.